So in, in honor of the FIA, tonight I'm drinking something that's a corn whiskey, because their shit was so fucking corny. Oh, uh, there it is. <laughs> it's Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey from Texas, if you're wondering. There it is. I'm drinking Saskatchewan's finest Lucky Bastard in honor of Max. <laughs> oh, oh. I am drinking Knob Creek because, dear God, Toto and Horner were such fucking knobs. That whole last couple of laps, that sequence was unbelievable. Oh my goodness. That's the best intro right there, Spence. Thank you. And Phil, oh. you can introduce your drink or what? <laughs> Maker's Mark 101. Thank you. Courtesy of one of our podcast commentators yes, themselves. Here. Thank you. Might as well. lights out on another episode of Flippin' F1, where the circus finally winds down the season in Abu Dhabi, where we went from suspense to scintillation to shit show, which basically is an entire microcosm for this season. Wow, what a whole story. As always, I'm joined by my regular panel of fanboys, who I'm always excited to watch race with. Spence, how you doing, bye? Randy, I'm good. Like, I, thank God we took a couple of days off between watching this <laughs> mess and then talking about it. I don't think that my brain could have computed it all on Sunday afternoon. I really don't. Like, what did we just watch? I'm not sure. It still has me steaming right now. And I'm not a Lewis fan, so this should be interesting. I'll tell you, man. Like, I honestly, I stayed off Twitter for two days because I just could not do it. But yeah, it was something. Phil, professor. Sir, <laughs> I, am I the only one that's happy with the outcome? I don't know. I'm uh, excited to be here, loving to debrief what we saw, what we went through, the heartbreak that happened, along with some of the jubilations that happened, and to discuss the absolute, well, shit show that is the team managers, or team principals, sorry. Let's get the terminology right. <laughs> right on. And of course, our technical guy, the barrister of balance, the solicitor of speed, Garris, with us. Oh, I come just to shit on how the 2021 Formula One sporting regulations have been drafted and applied. Oh, man. <laughs> you know it's going to be a cracker when. Oh. Is that the highlight we can get? <laughs> I swear we're going to spend 20 minutes on any versus all tonight. Holy jeez. What a crazy, crazy race. We saw two champions... Going in even on points at the end of the race, and when it came out, Max Verstappen was crowned the champion, but wow, was there a lot to talk about. That was a solid race. So let's jump into our regular old, everybody's favorite game, that wonderful cracker for the last time. It's time to play... Bingo! That's right, Box Box Bingo, where we all make predictions, or are supposed to make predictions, I myself did not make any, so I'm just going to host this weekend. It's that game where we all make very ill-informed prognostication, and Gareth always wins. So let's get into it. So, Quali, top five, bottom five. How'd you do, boys? I almost won, quite frankly. I predicted the Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez, and Norris in the top five, which they were in Verstappen, Hamilton, Norris, Perez, and Sainz. So I got four out of five on that, which is basically a complete win. <laughs> or if the FIA is judging, it's a 100% win. Yeah, there, there it is. <laughs> I'll be surprised that you won. No. And as a reminder, our top five on the grid were Verstappen, Hamilton, Norris, woo, Lando, Sergio Perez, turned out to be important, and Carlos Sainz. Woo, Carlos. Oh, Carlos. Bodass did not make the top five, and we'll get to that later. Ah. How'd you do, Spence? Well, Gareth, I did not get my 
predict the top five for the grid in or my bottom five for the grid in, but I got everything else in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my picks and I'm going to take Randy's picks for the top five. We're going to be a team this week and me and our host are the most and we'll see how we do. Okay. Oh, I like this. So our picks. <laughs> it's about as corrupt as Mercedes and Red Bull and we'll all combined no, no, in one. Phil, they're going to be a two-car team and they're going to be just as good as two horses. Well, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll be at the back of the grid, so don't worry about it, Gareth. We'll be fine. Our hmm. picks, I will say, we had Hamilton, Verstappen, Botas. So that was a bit of a mess, but that's okay. Yeah. We had Gasly and we had Ricardo. What the hell? That was not our best, Randy. It would be better. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Like, of all weekends not to show up, Gasly chooses this one? Well, my top five were Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas, Perez, and Ocon. So I got three out of the five. I was expecting Alpine to do a little bit better in the qualifying. I think, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this with that team because I never really liked the Enstone team. But the last couple of races, I've seen them do well. I was sort of falling for them. Bottom five, I had, yeah, well, it's not hard to get the bottom three correct. Mazepin, Schumacher, and Latifi. Hang on, Phil, hang on. We had a wrench thrown in. Mazepin was not on the bottom five of the grid because he did not grid up this week. I knew you were going to get me on a technicality. We got all of us on a technicality. As a reminder, it was the race that Mazepin finished the least adrift of his teammate yet this year because he didn't start. <laughs> Mazepin had COVID. Oh, uh, really? You know, Mazepin's not starting that race made such a difference. <laughs> mm. Now, something else I'd like to bring up so we can discuss here, I think it's relevant, is what was the order that the Williams cars qualified in again? Can someone please remind me? Oh, well, Andrew Spencer, I do believe that Nicholas Latifi, Canada's own, outqualified some guy named George Russell who gets to go drive a Mercedes-Benz next year. Okay, can we now stop calling him Mr. Saturday? Can we please move on from None that? of us ever did. Oh, We're not the Sky please. F1 commentary team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they tried so hard. Oh, well, he showed up wearing a nice suit, so let's call him Mr. Saturday. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, boy. Yeah. So just as a reminder, our bottom five for the grid was Vettel, Latifi, Russell, Raikkonen in his last race, and Mick Schumacher. Yeah, Randy, our pick of uh, Yuki for the bottom five was a little adrift this week. I think we missed the boat on that one. That was a long ways adrift. He was in somewhere in the top seven or eight, wasn't he? Uh, he the man <laughs> finished fourth. <laughs> it was a good finish. Again, I spent all of the start of the season picking Yuki into the top ten uh, of the grid in the race. <laughs> and sure enough, he doesn't show up till Abu freaking Dhabi. He was waiting until that last minute. He wanted to show himself shine. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, this was the weekend of me getting screwed in general. <laughs> all right, well, now let's get into it. Race top five. Did anybody pick Yuki Sonoda as part of your race top five? No, no he didn't. Because <laughs> he didn't put anything in there. Well, so remember, Spence and I are all teamed up yeah. this week. So so I think there's one good thing we have to say is all, well, the three of us that filled out the boxes, uh, Randy, you don't count in this one, but all three of us did pick the top two in order. In the right order. In yeah. the right order. We all said Verstappen was going to win the race. And by virtue of that, we kind of predicted he would be winning the championship too. So kudos to Gareth, Spencer, and myself. And sorry for the tears, Randy. Yeah, no, it's okay. Because given that I'm the host of this show, I'm just going to unlap myself and, and take the entire win. Edit that out. Sorry, boys. That's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't unlap yourself unless you let Mazepin unlap himself. And he's behind you. Well, see. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, so race top five was, that was really something. 
flag distribution. Let's get into it. Well, if Michael Massey had done the right thing, I would have been the most correct because I predicted one safety car and one red flag. Yeah. Yes. You would have been right. Yeah, you absolutely. would have been right. Absolutely. And you know, there's some VFCs, but that was the proper decision, Michael. We'll get into that later. <laughs> I think as it stands, we had, what, two or three VFCs that seemed to go on forever and a safety car. Memory serves. Yeah. Did we have any yellows? I, I can't remember. I think there was one double wave yellow at some point. Um, or you get double wave yellow before you get the safety car. I was going to say, by virtue of having a safety car, you've got a you yellow have a flag. You get the yellow, yeah. Yeah. yellow flag must precede the safety car. Uh. <laughs> now, are we reading that from the rule book? Is that 13.1.2 no. or something like that? Well, that's unless the race director just wants to have a safety car without a yellow flag, which oh, apparently the race director could do yeah. because the race director's powers are absolute when they're tucked into something about what the clerk of the course may or may not do. Yeah. <sighs> And the most brilliant, brilliant miss of the weekend. None of us got Mazda Spin or Mazda Bin because Mazda, Mazda Pin didn't start the damn race. So nobody gets that point. So I'm taking them all. We, Randy, we. <laughs> we, sorry. Yeah. Speaking of we, how the hell did we choose Merc to get fastest pit stop? What were you thinking? You mean, what were we <laughs> thinking, Randy? We're in this together. <laughs> This is true. <laughs> no, no, not when Randy's playing the game, Spencer. He throws you under the bus if it's not right. So, uh, sorry, who had the fastest stop? Was it Red Bull? It was Red Bull. Yeah, it was yeah, Red Bull. Yeah, yeah 2.1 with yep. Max. So, again, I get another million points for being right on that as well. Yeah, yeah, but then so do I. So, you're not the only one that's right. Yes, Philip. Ow. <laughs> and while we're looking at fastest things, let's talk about the fastest lap. Again, another million points because I believe Verstappen got the fastest lap and the rest of you predicted Hamilton would get it. Yeah. 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 It's fair. Well, that does that. <laughs> Unpredictable <laughs> stuff. Let's talk here. Pair bot tangle did not happen. No, I was expecting that the number two cars were going to get into it. They were too far apart on the track, to be fair. Yeah. You know. Yes, indeed. What a fantastic job Red Bull's number two did with just a drive that... Again, another one, Lake Brazil, for the ages, perfect racing, loved it. He did exactly what he had to do as number two, and Bodass basically said, fuck it, and phoned in his last race with Merck. Pretty much. Pretty much. Absolutely. I, I have to say, we can talk about how it happened or anything like that, but Perez did a fantastic race. I will say, on yep. the last race of the year, Perez, this past two years, has shown himself to be... So much more quality than anybody ever really gives him credit for. Like, what an amazing drive that was. He elbows out the whole time. He did his job keeping Lewis behind him. It was great. Well, and that set up the strategy that allowed Max effectively the time to pit under the safety car to put on fresh rubber. Yeah. And had Bodass actually been up there in third or fourth, the entire kind of makeup of the race with all the free stops at Max. It would have changed the choices the teams would have had. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think so. Spence? Yeah, it's not the first time this year we've seen this from this guy, right? Like, I think back to Turkey and did the same thing. Made his Red Bull the widest car on the track so that Hamilton couldn't get by and gave his teammate a, a massive advantage. So, I mean, he is quality. He gets a bit of a bad rap because he came into the sport, I think, on the basis that he had a lot of money behind him. But I think we can all agree at this point that he maybe was introduced to us as a pay driver. He's definitely not that now. He's there on merit. Well, and I think he's been an F1 on merit a long for time. Yeah. quite a number of years. Like he was pulling out great wins for Force India, as they then were, or uh, Racing Point, as they then were. Like just great races for them. But he's here and he's in that Red Bull seat on merit because there was some chatter last year. Like, does he deserve to be there? Should they bring back another Red Bull Junior? Blah, blah, blah. I think he showed like, here is the value of Sergio Perez. 
It's your driver's championship. I think he's an incredibly astute choice as the Red Bull number two. Like, he really is something else. It's just fun to watch him race. It's fun to watch him just talk, right? I think Checo has really grown up a lot over the last few years is really something. So, I mean, I agree with all that you're saying. The only thing I will say is that he hasn't stepped into it until, well, the last half the season, basically. The first half of the season, he wasn't anywhere to be found. And I think if you want to be a top-notch team, you, know, you want to win the Constructors' Championship, you need to have two drivers there. I mean, and that's what Mercedes ultimately had. And I would bet, Phil, we have no idea how the cars will perform next year. But if 2021 was Sergio's second year at Red Bull, the first half of the season would be dramatically different because he said, I had to learn and completely change how I was driving the car. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think he's fantastic. He is good, but he needs to be there all the time. Oddly enough, I'm actually going to disagree with you because I don't think that Merck had two drivers either. I think half the year Bottas was not there. It was the same thing for both teams. Without analyzing the results, like a third of the year, yeah, Bottas just did not show up. Yeah. Sure, but two thirds of the year he was there and that's what counted. I mean, well, that's what got know, them the that's, that's how they got the Constructors' Championship for the, what, eighth year in a row? Well, that and just having a car that was fantastic. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I will concede that Bottas was fractionally better than fine. <laughs> like, I can do that. I'm giving Mercedes something here. Come on. We're talking two thirds versus half. I know. I mean, <laughs> we're in all kinds of bizarre world this week, but that's exactly the microcosm at the end of this season's. Speaking of which, Spence and I called Merck a Red Bull with pit stop drama. Again, I don't really know that we, that? we got all that much drama. Yeah, we yeah. I, I don't think we got any pit stop drama there, except for maybe like Kimmy's wheel nut. Guys, the most dramatic moment of the entire race happened with a pit stop under the safety car at lap 52 or 53 or whatever it was. I mean, that was the most highly dramatic and consequential thing that happened that race. I think we, I think we nailed it, Randy. It was the pit stop that happened or didn't happen, I guess. But yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'm with you. Seven trillion points. Pulling at straws, gentlemen. Pulling yeah. at straws. Uh, I had made an unpredictable prediction that Verstamilton and Hamstaffen would race each other hard, but clean and fair with zero controversy would be treated to the best racing ever. That couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> I read that and I thought, God, and I'm also six feet tall and look like Tyson Beckford. Like that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got some good racing, but there was controversy, and that first lap, third corner, was not quite clean and fair, eh, Lewis? It wasn't clean and fair, but you have to give them credit. They did not stumble over each other, which there was ample opportunity to do that. Yeah. Max stayed on the track the entire bloody time. He did. Yeah. And they didn't actually hit each other. And they didn't hit each other. And, yeah. I mean, that's effectively what we wanted to see, is two greats racing each other. Yeah. So I'm going to take 750,000 points for that as a 75% guess, yeah? yeah? Of course you are. What really surprised me about that, right? I was like, I, I really don't know what to say about the fact there was no penalty there, but the fact that there was no investigation there, that really shocked mm. me. Like, that was the first moment I was like, something feels really stupidly amiss today, yeah. right? You know, I, I get that there was some belief that, look, let's just let what happens on the track happen, but it was like, no, that deserves an investigation in any other race. It implies the complete and utter lack of consistency from the race stewards continually throughout this season. The steward sewer being the steward shit show is back and it's here. Yeah. And we will get to that after we talk about the open prediction where we go wild. <laughs> Did anybody get anything right? I don't think any of us got anything right. I had said after wanting to take Gareth. Oh, you're talking about Spence and I got it right. Yeah. Pirelli was the factor 
<laughs> Sorry, Randy, you're saying the tire that's on every single car will play a, a major role in a Formula One race. Damn right. We absolutely wow, congratulations on that. Oh, so what are you going to say? The track surface was also a factor because they raced on it. And yeah, Occam's Razor says that we got that one completely right. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> so we'll let you have points for that as long as you change your name to become Team Ultrasofts. Team Ultrasoft. There's a hypersoft joke there to be made, but I'm not going to take it. It's just uh... <laughs> All right, let's see here. Norris says fuck it, pulls a Verstappen move and takes the lead at turn one, whilst a vengeful bot in six does his second missile of the year, but takes out Ham and Verstappen. Yeah, that was my open prediction. Didn't happen. Lando Norris actually kind of got screwed over by that safety car thing. Had a bit of a shit race. He had some bad luck the last part of the year. A lot of punctures, a lot yeah. of just mistiming the kind of when the safety car's coming. It's too bad. He had a really good first yeah. part of the season. No, he was third for a, quite a bit of the year in the championship, wasn't he? He was. He was. He was yeah. doing well. And then he stumbled back in the last couple of races, for sure. Stumbled back to sixth, yeah. And we can talk about this maybe in our end-of-year show, but the spread over the fifth, sixth, seventh place. And the championship was pretty darn minuscule. Yeah. And unexpected. Definitely yeah. want to hit that later. Saints, Norris, Leclerc. I mean, that was wild. Yeah. Covered by five and a half points. So it was decided at this race. Yeah. Which just makes the stewarding all that much more worth complaining about. But we'll get into that in a little mm. bit, as we keep saying. All right. Well, let me ask the traditional questions, right? Phil, tell us a little bit about Abu Dhabi. Newly minted in the last few years, the last race of the season. Tell me more about the track and some of the history about this one. I mean, it's been around for the better part of the decade. It's in Abu Dhabi, obviously, in the Middle East. United Arab Emirates. There you go. They made some changes to the track this year. So it's not quite the same as what all the teams were used to. And if you look back at the history of it, it is predominantly Mercedes always do well here. They always have done. Not that that really factors into anything this year, as we can tell with all those races that we've gone through and said, ah, this is that team's track. But whoever was developing the circuit certainly took out some of the tighter turns and made it flow a little bit more. It was always a little bit clunky. Yeah, like the the, the old 11, 12, 13, 14. It was just a bunch of like really awkward 90 degree turns. Yeah. That came at the end of what was a somewhat flowing piece, that came at the end of a fast piece, that came at the end of another clunky piece. Yeah. It was almost a stop-start, I think, Phil. Maybe. Yeah. It felt like three or four racetracks sort of blended together, and it never really flowed properly. A lot of drivers said that about the circuit. What they've done with it now, it is an improvement. It's fast. It like, is it's fast. It's a far faster course than it was. Yeah. It is. And, well, and let's talk about turn nine, because yeah. that was the one at the end of, let's call it kind of, the backish straight that is now a cambered kind of big banked corner. And you really have to say that from turn six to 16, <laughs> that back half of the circuit, it looks like a dong and a pair of balls. <laughs> so what we've guaranteed is the explicit rating is on this one today. I, I was going to say for all the folks at home, I just putting it out there. Gareth must've texted that to our group at least four times this weekend. Just wanted everyone <laughs> yeah. to see the balls and junk. Yeah. Well, the on-screen graphics, for the F1, it's like, oh, the dong is throbbing purple. Oh, there's stuff like little individual uh, things moving around the surface of this. I'm just like, oh, God. For those of you who are listening at work, man, eh, fuck it. Yeah, no, it does have an interesting shape for sure. Are there any like technical specs, Gareth, that really make for the setup of the cars at this track, especially with the changes? They've got to really combine a decent amount of downforce, so aerodynamic grip, as well as some mechanical grip to get through those awkward 90 degree corners that. 12, 13, 14, 15, 
even 16 that are still there. Yeah. So it's very much what's called a compromise setup. Find your best setup from everything you've got in the year. And the other thing is, because it's the last Grand Prix of the season, from a technical perspective, this year, right at the end of the formula that we've used for the last few years, a lot of people were out of parts. Like They just smashed stuff, and I saw some photos of, oh, they repaired one of Perez's wings using bits of another wing that had a different livery color on it from earlier this season, that sort of stuff. I do remember reading that. RBR was trying to fix wings with bubblegum and Elmer's paper glue at some point. Basically. Yeah. And I don't even know if Haas had two working chassis left. So it was kind of make do with what you got today. So Haas, it's not that he had COVID. It's just Haas had to put everything into one car and they chose Mick. Wow, there's another tinfoil hat moment, and I didn't come up with it. (laughs) It's like having Lego sets as a kid where you lose enough piece. You're like, well, I guess I can make one out of these two. You know, Gene Haas's backyard in North Carolina, there's now, you know, a Haas chassis up on blocks. It's missing most of its pieces. (laughs) Random parked. I know, Spence, we had Abu Dhabi at some point? I would love to. I mean, it really seems like it's a ton of fun over there. Insofar as the Mm. races in the Middle East swing go, it's far and away the one I'd like to go to. It has booze. Yeah, they're a little more liberal than a lot of other places in the region. Not liberal when you compare it to kind of Western or, or European standards, but, you know, still seems like a lot of fun. Large expat community. The hotel at Yas Marina seems like it would be absolutely on wheels for a race week. I'd love to go stay there. I hear it's a party. Yeah. It's just one yes. big party, that hotel. So if you don't want to sleep for two days or three days, that's the way to go for sure. That's what the commentary had said. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I think I'd love to do that. That would be amazing. I mean, I love that idea, right, of starting the race while the sun is still out and you just watch the sun set and the thing finishes at night. The cars have got so much downforce that the sparks are coming up the whole time. And it really is a spectacle. If I could make a change, though, if I may, oh. it should be a full on night race and not an evening race. So that I disagree. Well, if I disagree. it's a night race, I get to sleep in more. It was a 5 a.m. start for me, guys. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's where we're going with it. No, absolutely not. That's not a valid reason. Just a second. Could you petition to Michael Massey? You might get your way. Michael, did you get my email? <laughs> you could send Michael an email. I'm sure he's waiting for one. <laughs> I feel that's not as much a Michael issue as that's a Stefano Domenicali issue. And I don't know that I'm going to get him mm-hmm. off of that. Yeah. Yeah. What I will say is that the UAE, United Arab Emirates, where Abu Dhabi is, they still hand out lashes of whips for a lot of crimes, including verbal abuse pertaining to a person's sexual honor, abortion, false allegations, apostasy from Islam, dress code violations, bouncing checks, being a homosexual, public displays of affection, and certain other offenses under various bits of Sharia law. So travel there at your own peril and check the government notices about traveling to those parts of the world. Duly noted. Now, we'll talk in the special, I'm sure, about problematic places to race, but still, I'd like to get to Yas. That'd be wicked. Well, it's got the marina, Yas Marina, of course. Yeah. So it's kind of like pseudo Monaco. But the boats are a hell of a lot closer. I can finally buy that super yacht insurance I've been jonesing after since Monaco. Since we started this podcast, which started in Monaco, if I believe, right? No, it started just before Monaco. No, it started in Monaco. No, no, no. It started in Monaco. Monaco. That's right. Monaco. Monaco. Monaco was the first race, gentlemen. Good God. You have one bad day in this place, and these guys won't live it down. Well, but you know what? It's great. We actually got through, like, this was a long season. We started partway in, but man, we're here. We did it. We got all the way to the end. It's wild. The stats say that at least two people actually listened to our shit that wasn't us. So This is what so, I'm saying. Thank you. 
One of them works for me, so I'm sorry that he's having to listen to this crap. I was going to say, I was oh. like, the other two work for me, so <laughs> it's... Uh, it's <laughs> we love you guys. Thanks, audience. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave us. We need three at least to listen to us. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll grow our audience by at least one next year. That's my prediction. At least by one. Can we talk of the crap show now? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. As Whoa. Gareth, <laughs> tell the story. Two minute break? Tell the story. Sorry, I'm telling the story. Tell the story. What happened? Well, Canadian guy, Nicholas Latifi, binned it into the wall, I think on lap 52. Yeah. And he's already said sorry for this because he's Canadian. Sorry, eh? Sorry, eh? Uh, guys, I'm real sorry eh, that uh, the FIA fucked it up after I've been in the wall, eh? And, oh my God, I don't even know where to start other than... 1945. Sorry? You can start in 1945 and explain Canada's rich history of helping the Dutch. <sighs> As somebody who's been to the Tulip Festival in Ottawa multiple times, I'd like to thank the Dutch royal family for their wonderful donation to Canada. So I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to next year's F1 tulip that is uh, red and blue. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And long story short, you know, turn 14, which has claimed a few cars all weekend. Safety car deployed. Double yellow flags, safety car deployed. There's a car on track. It's got to be recovered. Nicholas Latifi, you know, helpfully points out to the marshals, hey, the car is on fire. Shoot some fire extinguishers at it as well. That happened. And during this whole safety car period, and traditionally what you do is, if you can, you box, you put on fresh tires. If you can do that while maintaining track position, you're definitely advantaged at the restart. The issue here is it was so close. It was a 58 lap race. This happened lap 52. The safety car doesn't come in until the accident is cleaned up, the equipment and all the people are off track. Very good reasons for this, primarily because that's how Jules Bianchi died in Japan many years ago. He left the track and hit a piece of equipment that was recovering a car, and that was hella not good. So it becomes a like we're all sitting there, lying there, as we were way too early in the morning. Is there going to be enough time to clean this up and bring in the safety car and then just have a regular restart after that? And <laughs> part of it is, hey, during a restart, lapped cars... What they do is they basically say, okay, the accident scene is cleaned up. We're going to release the lap cars from behind the safety car. They're going to roll around the track, usually in the course of a lap, and rejoin at the uh, back of the lineup so that there are no cars, quote unquote, out of position. And in this case, FIA race control dropped a message that said, no, lapped cars won't overtake. And that was, I think, two laps before the restart. It's like, oh, okay. So we're going to restart because, again, it is optional to the discretion of the race director. We're going to restart, and there's going to be four cars in between Hamilton and Verstappen. Verstappen's on brand-new soft tires. Hamilton's on, like, 40-whatever-lap-old hard tires. Like, sitting duck. Quack. So, okay, we're going that way. And then we get a message. Certain lapped cars will overtake the safety car. Like, the four cars or five cars between them. And then next message, safety car in this lap. This all happened way faster than it usually happens in a regular race where, okay, your lapped cars are told to overtake and go back around, join up the back. That usually takes a full lap. And after that, after that full lap, then the safety car goes in. We've never really seen, hey, okay, you guys get out of the way and the safety car is coming in right now and then you're going racing very close together. And what it effectively did is It gave us one lap of green flag racing, which was great, 
but it may not have followed all the rules or conventions that we have about safety cars and lap cars overtaking. And it really left Lewis Hamilton sitting out there kind of with his ass in the wind. And he got overtaken and lost the championship. And everybody lived happily ever after. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. No, I mean, I will say, I will say this because I know you're waiting for the rant, but both walked in as deserving champions and both deserved a better ending. Both Max and Lewis deserved a better ending to that race. I, I really do think it just, one way or another, this thing is going to end with an asterisk. You know, every time somebody talks about this season. And it's not Lewis's fault. It's not Max's fault. It's not fault. Max's fault. I don't blame Red Bull for this. This is all the fucking FIA. Yeah. And actually, just to back up, if anybody or three or four listeners want a really great recitation of the exact timelines, Chain Bear F1 on YouTube did a little great graphical representation of everything that happened. Go check that out. But this will end with an asterisk because it really looks like the FIA kind of said, we really want this to end in an exciting manner. So let's make things happen. So this happens exciting. And that's not the FIA's mandate. Yeah. To be fair, Massey and the teams, they've all agreed that they want to end on green flag racing. Yeah. If you watch IndyCar, you see it every now and again. There's kind of a yellow flag safety car end after like 80,000 smash ups on a super speedway. So if the proper thing to do in retrospect would have been to throw a red flag, which neutralizes the race, brings everybody into the pits, you can change tires, you can change car parts like for like we've been over that in previous races and then have a kind of three or four lap sprint to the finish yep agreed with your lapped cars out of the way that would have been the proper thing because that's allowed under the rules we saw in baku which by the way was absolutely fantastic racing for the record that last sprint to the finish and would not have attracted the controversy and the protests and the potential appeals this is attractive. I think it would have ended green that way. The racing would have been fine. Max probably still would have gotten him on the corner and Netflix would have had the show. It would have been great. And everybody, including myself, would walk away and say, you know what? That was a solidly fair win. Awesome. This was a rule partially applied and it looked and stunk like a fix. I'm going to disagree in part. Like, like I look for the record. My bias was I was rooting for Verstappen, okay? So, like, I was okay with the result, but not happy with how they got there. I really think that they were trying to manufacture some drama where we didn't necessarily deserve it. Every now and then, we're going to have races with stinker endings, like we talked about. Bahrain, last year, finished under the safety car, right? Not ideal. It makes everyone turn the TV off as soon as they realize what's going to happen. But it happens, and it's not the FIA's job to jazz things up and make it entertaining, right? If I'm Lewis Hamilton and I see that incident happening on lap 52 or 53 or whatever it was, I think I have an expectation that things are going to unfold in a way in which I'm accustomed to that happening, right? And that doesn't mean the FIA is just going to come in and literally rewrite the rule book on the fly and say Michael Massey has 100% absolute discretion with respect to how that safety car is deployed and taken out. I don't see that. I think if you take that position that the FIA was taking in that kind of hearing after the race, it kind of renders all of the other regulations they have with respect to this thing absolutely moot and useless. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess as a fan with a rooting interest, I was happy with the result, but I feel extraordinarily bad for Lewis Hamilton, and I think he was 
really hard done by. Because let's be honest, he had the measure max the last four races of this season. He was dominant, and that dominance continued in the last race. Yeah, so you know what? I'm going to say this for the record, and this is going to lose me, or at least cause some comments that are going to not go well for me. But frankly, I don't think this was the FIA choosing between Max and Lewis. I don't think that was it at all. They were choosing entertainment. They just chose badly in this particular case. Correct. I would agree with you, Randy. Right? And this is what I'm saying. I didn't say it was a fix. I'm saying it looked and stunk like a fix, which was bad for the brand and bad for the sport. Right. Okay. So just to make sure that we're clear on what my position is here, I don't think they were preferring Max over Lewis. I think, like yeah. you said, they were choosing entertainment. And my point is, yeah. that's not their job. And I don't remember if this was Chain Bear Gareth or it was someone else I saw on YouTube. They said the FIA's job is to manage the race, not the circus, right? That was Chain Bear, and Stewart was yeah, correct. Yeah, it's incredibly apt, right? They're not there to manage the entertainment. They're there to run the race. And I don't think the race should have been restarted in the manner it was. And I think Lewis really, he got hosed there. And what I will say is I agree with both you and Randy. And the nature of live sport and Formula One racing is unpredictable stuff happens. And it can just shake up whatever you're doing, like a car in the wall late in the race, uh, a Pirelli blowout anytime, really. And we've seen the ebb and flow of the luck on this. Yeah. The FIA staged managed this for the drama, for the likes, for the clicks. And it's just, it stinks. I, I don't agree that they staged managed this, Gareth. I really don't. I think they made some bad calls. I think they made some mistakes, absolutely. But I don't think that, you know, stage manage implies that they were doing this on an intentional basis, that there was intentions. They were doing this, Phil, to, on an intentional basis to have a green flag finish to the season and to the championship. Yes, they wanted a green flag finish, but they were not staging it in a sense that, you know, what's going to get us the best rating? Well, that's exactly why they did a green flag finish. It was the best rating. No, I think you've got to go back in the story just a little bit further. I think we've got to talk about what's happening. I mean, if you want to think about this, the person who's sitting there, the person we're hammering on here is Michael Massey. And so what is he going through? I would say with Michael Massey... Like, just let me finish with my point. Really? All right. Yes, really, for once, all right? I've let you talk for the last 10 effing minutes, and you're sitting there and just talking through me. But if we're going to get into this and we're going to talk about, okay, we're hammering Michael Massey for the decisions that he's made, well, then we have to look at why is he making those decisions? What is going on in his environment right now? He's got team principals yelling down a radio at him, which is interrupting a cycle, for sure. I mean, you've got to admit, that is not a conducive way of making any informed no. decision. All right. Especially in a high You're, pressure, fast paced environment. He's doing a job and thinking about it from this perspective, he's doing a job that realistically actually was actually done by two people up until mm -hmm. Charlie Whiting, because there was Charlie Whiting. And I cannot remember the, the other guy's name. Herbie Blatch. Thank you, Herbie Blatch. Yeah, Herbie Blatch. You know, and both of them were doing parts of this job. Michael Massey has both elements right now. Right? He does. His and span of control is too big. It's way too big. So he cannot effectively be making that decision. And when he's got, I'm sorry, but both of them, idiotic team principals yelling at him, all right, having temper tantrums and wobblers and everything else because they're not liking the decisions of what are coming their way because their teams are making decisions that may or may not be the most conducive, that's not appropriate, right? I mean, I just think... We've got to give a little bit of leeway here and say, you know what, it's not an orchestrated thing. It is not a fabricated element. They made some bad calls. They were wrong. Correct. Absolutely. Because, you know, 100%, this should have gone red flag, lap 53, 
start again 15 minutes later when the track is cleared, like they did in Baku, and move along. Yeah, it was either right. that or at the first opportunity, assuming that there was an earlier opportunity to let the lap cars overtake. Phil, Phil, I have sent you an email. Phil, have you checked your email? <laughs> uh, Toto, I don't have time for this. This is racing, goddammit. Yeah, like the back and forth bullshit that's going on there. Yeah. You feel like Michael Massey needs a layer of insulation yeah. between him and the bullshit on the radio that will let him make effective decisions. Phil, I think in everything you said still points to an institutional failure, right? Not having the same layers that Charlie Whiting had, the way it's set up. Like the fact is, you just said it, right? His scope of control is too big for the sport to be fair. And that's exactly what happened. Right. If he got confused all of a sudden and there's this whole thing of like ending under a green flag. I mean, there was a dozen ways to figure this out. Can any of you guys imagine the pressure? You know, say the four of us are race control or race directors in the room. Please bring it on. Yeah. But like us trying to figure out, can we actually do this within the span of each safety car lap is what, two and a half minutes? Are we able to restart the race this way? Have these cars unlap themselves, but not these cars back here. And you've got like me and Spence thumbing through the FIA sporting code, trying to read the shit and figure out if we can do it. I agree with Phil that you have to give a lot of deference to. They had to make a lot of decisions under some very quick pressure. So I'm going to pretend that we haven't been watching this sport for as long as we have and ask the question that if I'm a new fan, that I would be asking every time somebody brings up the Toto and Christian thing, which I agree, like, guys, shut the fuck up and let Massey do his job. They're probably secret, like, BFFs. You know, like, if I'm a, just a, an outright new fan, I'm sitting there thinking, well, shit, I got a mute button on my Zoom. Like, how does that guy not have a mute button for everybody else while he's trying to make a decision? Great question. At that point in a race with that critical, knowing that that kind of pressure is on, how is it that he doesn't have a mute button to say, I'm sorry, guys, you do not have access to me while I do my job for five minutes? And maybe he does, like the whole Toto, Michael, Michael, Michael. We never got a response to that, did we? Yeah, they went motor racing. Yeah, they yeah. went motor racing. Yeah. We're yeah. going motor racing, yeah. Toto. Yeah. That's what that response was. Yeah, I mean, and like, don't get me wrong. Like, I am with all of you guys from the text chat. Like, shut the fuck up, Toto. What the hell is that? That is not your place. And I think we've heard over this season on the FIA radio yeah. that it's not the place of teams to tell race direction how to safely control the race. Yeah. No, not your place. Well, and that just came out today that Ross Braun, the technical director of F1 there, is looking at that as a change for next year, mm -hmm. to not have that from the Good. team principles. The teams still have to have access to the race director somehow. Absolutely. You yeah. know, that's inevitable. They effectively need like a designated single point of contact. Absolutely. Fine. But they need a buffer zone between yeah. them and the race director. Well, that's fine. So sure. make it the sporting director. And no one else gets to get on that channel, right? Yeah. Well, and you put somebody between, like, you actually give Massey a team of people because, Phil, you mentioned Herbie Blatch that Charlie Whiting had. And some of the commentary that I've seen subsequently has said, Michael Massey doesn't have the resources to do this. The FIA needs to put more money into this. There's money in the sport. Give the resources to the race director and permanent stewards, we'll talk about that later, to have professional, large-scale teams you can respond to what is going on. This isn't arrive and drive go-karts. You need a level of professionalism and professional decision-making mm -hmm. and rulings in this. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm going to offer my services for a low fee of at least less than half a million dollars US. 
with travel expenses and benefits. Yeah, but you need your entourage to come with you. From what I was going to say, I will happily be his yeah. entourage for a quarter mil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right there, one point two five million. You could have us all. Exactly. It's a steal. The flipping F one podcast team will come and assist with the direction and stewarding of your races. <laughs> Very low, low fee. Just hope that the teams don't get somebody like me or Randy, because then it's like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, man. I'm like, stop whining. But this is what you need, right? <laughs> two people looking at the actual legalities of the rules and two people just yelling at the rest of the teams to shut the fuck up and let us do our job. <laughs> We've got like, jobs laid out right here. <laughs> this comes back to my comment of earlier before Andrew joined us, you know, listening to some Linkin Park, reflecting on my work day. It's like, oh, shut up. Shut up while I'm talking to you. You Shut had a lot up. of yeah. teenage angst inside you there today, did you? You needed to really rock out before we got on this thing and, and hashed out the race? Exactly. Yeah, it was something. I mean, I don't think this was RBR's fault. I don't think this was Max's fault. I don't think it was Lewis or Merck's fault in the end. This was a bad, bad call. Like I said, it was a rule half applied, right? You either let the cars on lap or you don't. Precedence? Uh, that this. depends on your interpretation of the, of the wording that's in there. So. Oh, okay, so now we're to any and all. So let's let the lawyers get at it. If it's there, let's play with it. Come on. <laughs> let the two lawyers hash that one out. But as a non-lawyer, I can say that. Look, I go back to what I said earlier. If you're going to read that article, and I Gareth, you can tell me which one it is, which sets out oh, the relationship like, between the race director and the clerk of the course and how they all fit together. 15.3. In, okay. Yeah. So if, if you're reading that as saying that Michael Massey as race director can do whatever the hell he wants, why do we need the rest of it? Like, why don't we just say, look, this guy, the race director, whoever that is, has the ability to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, and we're going to put it all in his hands. He's the benevolent dictator, if you will, of the race for the weekend, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand that interpretation. And then, sorry, this is going way off any kind of discussion on F1 and is becoming a pedantic lawyer discussion. But but it, it makes sense, Andrew, because this is what kind of the FIA relied upon when they said, dear Mercedes-Benz your requests, your protests don't matter. So what it is, and I've got the sporting regs. I looked at them. I read them. They're parts of them. And Andrew and I, we both every now and again have to look at statutes, laws. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. This is what the powers of the decision-making body are. The entire sporting regs are drafted really crappy. It's not very clear. It's actually very poor, what's called statutory drafting. 15.3 it starts off, the clerk of the course shall work in permanent consultation with the race director. Okay, that's great. But then it goes into, the race director shall have overriding authority in the following matters, and the clerk may give orders in respect of them only with the race director's express agreement. And it lists a bunch of stuff, including safety cars. What you would almost want to see if this was drafted properly, is something that says, like a clause, race director has overriding authority with respect to the following, comma, subject to the rest of these sporting regulations. But hang on, we got to give some context here, right? The clerk of the course is the guy who goes out and is actually responsible for operationalizing things like yellow flag here, yellow flag in this sector, red flag, Correct. right? Like they're like the executive officer of the race director. Sure, that's actually a great way to describe it. So like, in my mind, that section just sets up how these guys fit into the hierarchy of the guys running the race, right? They, they combine two things there, Spence. They combine the hierarchy of how this happens as well as trying to say, oh, and by the way, the race director has these powers. It's almost ancillary that's in there. And it's poor statutory drafting, if that was what the intent of the sporting regs was. 
that this person has overriding authority on all this stuff. I completely agree. They, they should have said, notwithstanding, our favorite word from tonight. Indeed. Like, notwithstanding everything else in these regulations, Michael Massey yeah, can do whatever the hell he wants to do. And that makes absolutely no sense. Like, why would you have this very complex set of rules if you're going to give some guy that overriding authority. Exactly. These go on for 98 pages, and they're very specific about things like safety car restarts, like unlapping. You would almost want to say, subject to everything that's in this, these are the powers. Yeah. And then have some sort of literally a notwithstanding clause that says, in certain circumstances, this could happen. But you'd almost want like a right of review of those certain special circumstances. So what I'm understanding, and Randy, maybe I'm missing this here, but it's sounding like that the Formula One F1 regulations there are drafted like a set of chapter bylaws that have not been properly edited and are iteratively developed from year to year over a 50-year period. And that conflict with each other and that have confusing defined terms and that maybe say one thing right here and then next to it say something else completely different that contradicts. So that explains why I don't see a problem with it. I've been living with these problems for the last 20 years. I think it was Tom Bellingham of WTF1 (laughs) who actually said it best, right? He was like, look, if you're going to have that one clause in there, then why have section 12... 50.5 50.5 S.1 bazillion. Yeah. Why have the other 80 pages? Just say the race director could do whatever the fuck he wants and allow it to be the reality television show it is. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, no, he was right. And let's flip this back to Total Wolf saying, Michael, Michael, Michael. There is what I would call, and this is a legal term, a reasonable expectation with respect to the procedures and processes that are followed. So I'm going to pull back the curtain for you guys. This is what actually happened. The race ends. Michael Massey looks to whoever is near him and says, yeah, guys, I think we've probably screwed that up a little bit. Let's break out our sporting code and see where we can find some safe harbor. Yes. Let us find the pegs on which we can hang our argument that we were probably within our jurisdiction to do this. So that the stewards can say, yeah, we agree with that. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what the fuck happened. And it's fucking shameful. After the case, we're going to say we have the power from here. And I think... A lot of reasonable people, and counting myself among them, are looking at this and saying, that makes no bloody sense. You guys are after the fact, trying to make up for having, you know, I think it was probably well-attentioned, but it was a bad decision in the moment. I'm also going to tag on to this a couple other points. The FIA has protected itself. The FIA is being incredibly and completely disingenuous with all of this stuff. I don't know. If anybody watching or listening or you guys, like I enjoy reading the F1.com website for articles. It's all about the articles as well as listening to the F1 podcast, like Natalie Pinkham, Damon Hill, Tom Clarkson are on, and they have completely hand waved all this shit on both formula one.com, like the F1 podcast, like the official ones. It's very much a, well, Max is a great champion. He really deserved to be champion. So let's talk about why he deserved to be champion. What a great season we had. They have completely skipped over all of this stuff. Because the last thing in the world you want to do is to do it the opposite way around. It's fantastic that we're going to hit on these guys and we're going to harbor it, but we cannot turn back the clock. We cannot change no. what has happened. Verstappen is the world champion. And you know what? He deserves he to be world champion. I don't disagree with you, Phil, but what the official Formula One, which is the marketing side of the sport, their communication has skipped over is anything related to 
hey, was the right thing done here? Did the FIA do the right thing? Could the FIA improve what they're doing? They have discussed none of that, except there is one official press release, the statement of the FIA World Motorsport Council, which is a motorsport council where the FIA's main decision-making body meets. It's actually happening right now. And they put out a press release, like the world watches, great anticipation, blah, blah, blah. It's prompted a large number of reactions from the F1 community and from motorsport in general, as well as the public. Blah, blah, blah. And this is where they affect, I'm going to call it victim blaming. The FIA has said, the circumstances surrounding the use of the safety car, following blah, 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 related communications with the race direction team and the F1 teams have notably generated, quote, significant misunderstanding and reactions from teams, fans, and drivers. And an argument that it is currently tarnishing the image. Was this a significant misunderstanding? Do we feel like we've misunderstood the FIA here? Gareth, you're listening to state-run TV, right? They're not going to be objective about I know. this. They're like, here, they're here. trying to, you know, put the best well, spin on it. Like, that's that, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Correct, yeah. correct. Like, every lesson from every dictatorship that they go to. That's what their PR department's doing. That's fair. <laughs> Look, Phil, I get where you're at, right? And I said this at the beginning of this segment, right? I think both were deserving champions and both deserved a better ending. I think that had this gotten red flagged, they all start on softs. This is a five lap sprint race at the end. Max passes fairly, which he would have probably done. And yeah, you know what? Honestly, Hamilton on new softs. Who knows? We probably would have had an epic four laps, probably to the last corner. And we got cheated. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be gracious about this. Like, I think Max had all kinds of racecraft that he could have used. And and he's shown that he's got all kinds of racecraft. I think that Lewis has all kinds of racecraft. And it would have been a tough battle right at the end. And I think had that been won that way, then I'd be saying, you know what? Wow. Holy shit, Max. Well done. Away you go. The problem that I have is that it's taken it away from both of them. Right. We're not talking about the drivers. We're talking about the sport. We're talking about the officiating. Like to me, we're talking about F1 like it's fucking figure skating. Okay, but you're saying that. And at the same time, Gareth just ripped apart the commentators that, yes, they're being paid by F1 in some format. But Damon Hill and all those guys that are talking about the racecraft, they're talking about the drive. They're talking about that rather than focusing on this debacle, which is the counterpoint to what we were talking about. 30 seconds ago. Uh, you know, I, I think you're actually missing the point, Phil. They, they are talking about that stuff because they're not. They're doing so to distract from rather than lean into. What we're saying is this should have been about racecraft and this should have been about the sport. But instead, it became about bad officiating. And instead, they're leaning into talking about racecraft as if the bad officiating didn't happen. That's exactly it, Randy, because it's all part of the same narrative, which is we had amazing racing all season long. Yeah. But the crux of it is the officiating. So it's governance and controls. Yeah. The governance and controls kind of gave us a result that really takes away from both drivers, both teams, and really makes it just kind of shitty that they gloss over this. I haven't listened to this F1 Nation podcast, but it's like end of blockbuster season, F1 new champion get together. They discuss the electrifying Grand Prix and his dramatic title winning, blah, blah, blah. And then they remember the past. There's nothing of, and we have a substantive discussion of, did the FIA do the right thing here? Which is not to take away from Max winning the championship. I agree with Spence. Like, I preferred that Verstappen would win the championship simply for the change of pace. But 
you don't want to see somebody win in a way that ends up with an asterisk. And the state-controlled media, as we've said, it would be more authentic and have more credence, credence, if you will, if it also said... Have another drink. That was a total whack at you, Phil. Yeah. That was a total <laughs> oh, whack at you. Oh, I wish. <laughs> but the Formula One as a sport maybe now has a credibility problem and an authenticity problem. And how do you regain the credibility and the authenticity? You might do it by tackling the issues. No, but that's what the FIA is trying to do with what they're saying. I mean, with their investigation press release where everybody misunderstood what was going on sure yeah that's like my students back in the day who would write me and say well i'm sorry that you didn't get me but i deserve a better mark like that's fucking bullshit i totally got you you just got it wrong like and that's all it was in this particular case i think if they come out and say you've got it wrong it puts into full-on question about max Verstappen's championship and they can't do that well, but there is a question of Max Versace championship. Like, I, so we end, you know what? You can't tell everybody that notably generated significant misunderstanding. What you can say has led to a great championship and has given the FIA pause. You consider how we do this. The FIA, of course, maintains that everything was done properly, but we're going to look at how we do things in the future. That's how you rebuild the credibility to say, oh, okay. This is what happened because the intent was correct. I think we all agree the intent to have a green flag finish was a good intention. How you got there sucked. You got to fix that and you got to acknowledge that you want to fix it. And then if you're going to do that, you may as well acknowledge that you want to fix like permanent stewarding and consistent decision making and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Well, if we're done on that, let's talk about the McLaren Atura sponsorship, shall we? Well, hold on a sec. Before we go, I mean, we've been talking about Max and Lewis as if they're the only ones that were affected by this. But I think that there was a larger narrative here of a lot of racers were affected by how this decision went down, right? I mean, we can play the what-if game, but there's a possibility that there's all of a sudden a Sainz and Verstappen fight that might have happened at the end of that race that Yuki might have found his way onto the podium for the first time. There's a whole series of down-the-line implications outside of Max and Lewis. No, it wasn't fair to everybody who was lapped, because everybody who was lapped didn't get to unlap themselves. And I think that's what affects the credibility of the sport, right? Like, this is not just two teams going at each other. There was a lot of teams at play. You know, we talked about this at the top of this podcast, right? That we got our predictions wrong, and a lot of teams played out this race in a way that nobody expected and that it could have had a lot of different implications and that five points and let's talk about that five points because that could have all been different at the end of this race had the stewarding or Massey or whoever's decision that could have all been different at the end of this race too which could have made a difference in both money and cadence and credence and overall sort of the conversation of history of these drivers and, and how they do and how they perform right because i mean Ultimately, drivers, they're rewarded on their history. It's all about past performance in terms of where they get to go next. And amongst all of the drivers in all of this, Saints is one of those drivers who I think is going to be the next Checo, where he's a great driver and yet may not find himself with a drive or maybe questionably finding himself without a drive at some point in history. And it's just one of those things. I think he's great. I think he's amazing. I think he's as good as Leclerc. But I went on a giant rant, I think, on our Turkey podcast about why he's the dark horse and why he's so fantastic. Right. 
And I think this is the kind of thing that could just speak to, well, but he finished here and he finished there. And it was like, okay, now the asterisk comes into play, right? So I think there's a lot more to this than just Max and Lewis. I mean, that was the narrative that they were trying to drive. Maybe I'm just being too technical here, and that's fair. Nice, you were bringing something up, Gareth. Oh, I was going to shift our focus from this to a couple other, let's call it more lighthearted things that we saw this weekend, unless we want to keep going with, well, fuck, the FIA fucked us the fuck up. <laughs> fuck. Fuck. Come on, Spence and so Phil, we- give us the fuck. 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 Well, fuck, Brandy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is not the fucking podcast we would have wanted to bring you. This is not the comedy we intended to write. Not at all. So I think I'm the only one out of the three of us, because I need to circle back to it. I think I'm the only one out of the three of us. There's four of us, yo. Four of us. I can't do math. That actually, apart from saying that, yes, there was missed decisions there, I enjoyed the racing that we saw. I enjoyed... I enjoyed the racing we saw, I enjoyed how it happened, as much as I didn't like the decisions that got us to that point. The on-track racing was phenomenal. It was. Second to none. There was no hefty contacts all the way through, which was phenomenal. It was good to see. And at the end of the day, um, quite pleased with how it all turned out. We got to see some great great racing. We saw some moments, right? Like, like we've already yeah, talked about it. Yeah. Really great racing. Like, well, yeah. hang on. Like, Checo backing up Lewis, right? Was awesome. Especially through, like, the awkward, difficult 90-degree sure. bit. Yeah. He just, like, he took, like, seven seconds off of Lewis's delta to Max. I yeah. am with you. But, like, Brilliant. for the rest of the race, Max was not in the same league as Lewis, right? It wasn't until he had that huge tire no. delta where he could actually make something happen again. Right? Like, I, 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 I kind of disagree. Like, I think there was a... Large, as Gareth likes to say, boring bit in the middle, right? Which was actually quite... You and I, being the only people watching this, I don't know where the other two were. <laughs> I think you need we to reach the about. text. We were all there that we day. Were we were all watching this. Everyone was plugged into this. Everybody was there, right? yeah. But like, like the, the... We were texting about, like, this might be the boring middle bit, and I think we got a VSC for debris or something. But, okay, yeah. but like, a VSC doesn't really do much, in my mind, to like, kind of like no. shake things up, no, right? Doesn't. So we had the incident, like, on the first lap between the two guys. And then it was just a series of Lewis kind of like stretching a lead out over Max until Lewis pitted and then Checo managed to back him up. But then it was the same thing again. Like the cars were not on equal footing this weekend. Like Mercedes was clearly quicker in my mind. And again, Correct. it wasn't until that late safety car got called that Max got to get on the new softs no. and that, that made all the difference, right? I mean... The Delta wasn't so big. But that's also racing. That's what racing is. For sure. I completely agree with that. Okay. And you know what? And Mercedes, nobody can deny Mercedes has the car. They've had the car for the last eight years. They've dominated this. Well, but they they did something in the last four or five races that really brought it back to them. Yeah, they figured out what their fucking engine problem was. After getting their shit kicked by Red Bull all year. And I don't disagree with that. Like, I think had it been a fair fight at the end where all of the lapped cars had lined up properly and the restart had gone properly, then yeah, great. Awesome. If Mercedes wins that battle, awesome. If the Red Bull wins that battle, great. But ultimately, there were back markers on both ends and Max, either you have them fight the fight or you don't. But to let them halfway through and then not let the other ones through, well, that was crap. Okay, but I just got to go back to something Phil said. I agree with you. Late safety cars where you could be at a disadvantage because you're on old tires. That is racing, right? And teams are Absolutely. always looking. They're always yes. looking about that. They're always thinking about that. They're always saying in the radio, hey, 
how are you going to be situated if there's a late safety car call? Like, are you going to be compromised, right? Absolutely, that's part of what we're doing here. But I feel like it was manipulated, to borrow a, a term from Lewis somewhat, in that I don't think we had enough time left in the race to set up green flag racing. I disagree with you guys. I don't think a red flag should have been called. There's absolutely no reason to do it. People could safely pass on the track with the debris that was there. And it's not popular. It's not what anyone wants to see. But the right answer here would have been to finish the race under the safety car and give Lewis the championship. Like That would have been the most just outcome we could have had. Definitely not popular. And we've definitely heard that, like some people or commentators have said, if this was like race eight instead of race 22, probably would have finished this under the safety Fine, car. Fine, but like the FIA guys are not producers for Drive to Survive, right? Like they can't have that as like Well, a, no, and they shouldn't be trying to do that and they shouldn't have the pressure on them. Like they should have like clear rules of engagement that they're actually following. Guys, I think this got right fucked up. I, I, this, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm at. I, like, I'm, it was a bad end to a friggin' awesome epic season. season. And like it was so an close. Correct. Epic it, season. It was so close to a whole way along, right? Like you can look back at so many things and say, if any one of these things happened, you could have gone another way, right? Like let's say Russell and Falbot don't crash at Imola, like at the start of the season. Then Lewis doesn't get the red flag. He doesn't get to change tires. He doesn't get all the points, right? If Lewis doesn't take Max out, Max's Pirelli doesn't. Max's Pirelli off. doesn't blow in Baku. He wins that race, right? Takes twenty five points, no problem. If Max and Lewis oh. don't collide, the whole like Valbot missile. Oh, yeah, there's, there's so, so many. There's so there many. Yeah. So many this is racing, right? guys. This is racing. This is what it is. Monza, when Max takes out both of them after he's like at a disadvantage, right? Like, there's so many things that could have happened. And yes, this is racing. But I'm saying like. It was so close. Any one of those things going the other way gets us a very different result here. Correct. And I'm kind of loving the animated Spence right now. This is awesome. Well, in fairness, I've had a little bit of Knob Creek. It's really helping uh, animate me. It's good. So what Toto was drinking before the race. Animated Knob, folks. Animated Knob. You're right, though. Like, there's so many what-ifs from this. Like, there's what-if Spa had just been fucking canceled. That's another one, right? Well, yeah. Those half points. Right. Technically, they go in Ecolon Waste Rins, and this thing is even different. That's totally fair, because that was horseshit, right, in my mind. They didn't run the race, right? No one should have got any points for that, in my mind. No, I agree with you. It ought to have been canceled and run on Monday. Or canceled full stop. Like, that happens sometimes, too, right? Like, either one. Any of those things happen, you get a different result. So I look at it. No, that's the problem of Pirelli not having tires that can actually handle rain. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. That has nothing to do with anything else. It's just Pirelli can't build a tire for rain. Sorry, there goes our Pirelli sponsorship, but that was gone six months ago. That left us on podcast number one. I think so. Spence, do you want to talk about the Pirelli snow tires? No, I I, look, guys. (laughs) In case anyone didn't know, I have Pirelli Sato Zeros on my car. I've got them on both mine. They've been fantastic. (laughs) Just don't ask me about my P-Zeros. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know what? Let's talk about this, right? Because this was an epic season. There was a lot of great things in a season that, like, So for, you know, the previous pandemic season, it was short and it was kind of messy and there was this and that and the next. This season was a season of racing. For the most part, this was a season of racing. And then as we got close to the end of the season, it went from, and I said this in the intro, right? It went from suspenseful to scintillating to spectacle to shit show. You know, there was just moments of, oh my God, this is great. This is what I want out of Formula One. This is what I want to sport. This is why I've been telling people to watch for years to, uh uh-oh, 
it feels like figure skating. And when I yeah. say it feels like figure skating, and I mean, I don't take away from the athleticism of the athletes. I take away from the commentators and the judges for the way that they officiate and report the sport. And I don't think of us as commentators. We're just four guys with poorly informed decisions or poorly informed opinions, an abundance of which. Well, we have poorly informed decisions as well. Uh, this, is, this is true. I'm having my like eighth glass of lucky bastard. And I think this is what took it away from me. Like, I honestly thought this was the year with all of these people that came in from DTS and all of this, like, oh, my God, we're going to show off our sport, the sport that we've loved. It's a true speed sport. It's higher, faster, stronger all the way, which is to say, come back to us next season on Flippin' F1 season two while we break down the sport again as so much changes and we'll still be here because... Lord knows, I'm not giving up. I don't think you guys are. I got nothing better to do. We're in for the long haul. But I think it actually was a good season. It was a phenomenal season. Where we got held up, we've talked about the FIA director's side of things and that not being supported. And the Stuart Sewer is, wow. Yeah. I mean, it took a step back this year. It's no longer a sewer. It's whatever's worse than that. But this is Formula One. And if you followed it as long as I have, and yes, it's been an awfully long time that I've followed the sport, it has up years and down years. There's good years and bad years. There's great calls and shit calls. And we've had some crap ones going through this. But what is phenomenal about this, and you can't take it away from any of the drivers, is they've all raced amazingly well, even and including the guy that Randy likes to pick on the most, Mazepin. He has raced well with a car that is inferior. So everybody... You can I pick on Mazepin <laughs> You pick on him the most, man. What are you trying to get me executed by the Russians? What the hell? <laughs> I'm trying to get myself off their list, okay? Hi, <laughs> Vlad. So I would say I watch a lot of live sports and golf doesn't count as live sport yet. No, no. I mean it's one of many. But I will say there's very little that I watch that can have me sitting in my basement just screaming at my TV. And I think if that's a test for whether this season was entertaining, then you know what? I think it passed with flying colors. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll never take away from the entertainment value of F1. And even in the end here, it was a marketing coup. You had more people watching, more clicks, more content created in the last three days than ever in this sport that I've known. And I will give you that. And whatever changes happen to the sport, and I do hope changes come. And I do hope that there's, I guess, a different level of integrity of the sport. I will put it that way. Because, I mean, you know what? Ultimately, like I said, Max is champion right now. And both were deserving champions is the only way that I'm going to say this. They fought a hard battle. They both deserve the championship. They both deserve better. And ultimately, in the end, Max has got that title. Great. Let's see what happens next year. And you guys know this from the text chat. I've been saying this the whole time. I'm like, all right, great. Let's see what happens next year. Take your monies from the Constructors Championship and build a fucking great car. Randy, I agree with you. They're both very deserving. I think we have to acknowledge the phenomenalness of Mercedes over the last Phenomenalness? Yeah, I'm making words. Welcome to my world. I need another drink soon. You should have another Paul Ricard. Yeah, some Pernod Ricard. I started yeah. a sentence structure and couldn't finish it. Oh, be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to make a point and now I've lost it. So 
Good on you. Cut that out, Eric. It's good Phil's to go. The point is we have to acknowledge that like the Mercedes-Benz AMG Patronus Formula One team fucking rocked it. Yeah. You're in this stage of the formula of Formula One since 2014. Like they've been on top of the world, on top of the ball. And that knocked it out of the park. Yeah, they did. It won eight constructors championships in a fucking row. At the same time, you have to admit that RBR has pulled out a series of recruiting coups and are coming with an engine next year that is going to be something to watch. And they had an engine this year that was something and to watch. And they had an engine this year that was like, something to watch. It was really something. Like, they, I impressed as hell. As a non-manufacturer team, to beat a manufacturer team. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, you're integrated, blah, 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 but you're not one in the same. They pulled out a coup and... Hey, look, you know, it's also worth talking about what we lost in F1 this year. And, like, let's not talk about politics. We lost Kimmy. Worse, we lost Frank Williams. Worse, yeah. we lost a lot in F1 this year. There were some big moments that hit hard. For me, Frank was a big one. You know, I remember reading about him, watching him. Those moments are just going to really be something for this year. Like, it was truly a year of F1. And I kind of love that, right? From March till now, nine months of pure on racing. And don't forget preseason testing. And right now we even have postseason, post-season testing, testing just wrapped up. Yeah. Yeah. We got preseason before March and we got postseason now. And 90 days till the circus starts up again. What is it, 80 days till testing starts? I mean, this is crazy. This is right. Like... It's great entertainment and it's a fun thing to be with, especially with you idiots. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we also realize and acknowledge that if none of us watched an F1 race, it would still happen and nothing would change. So, I mean, we have no influence on the sport. We just enjoy watching it and yelling at each other about it. Well, pretty much. And educating other people. I mean, I think that was the whole point of this cast in the first place, right? Was we wanted to invite no, others in and, no. and uh, no, 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 no. It's all about yelling at each other. That's why I'm here. I don't know about you, I'm Spence, literally but just that's why here I'm talk here. over Phil Cantrell. All right, fine. I started with noble <laughs> intent, but then I ended up with these idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what Michael Massey said at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. <laughs> you just need some support, Randy. You just need some support, my friend. Is what it is. <laughs> sorry, Spence had, Spence, his hand you had your hand up. Did I? Oh, sorry. Uh, I think I was going to say the Vancouver E Prix tickets are on sale. Mm. Yeah. Just put that, that out there next end of June next year. Send us all the link for tickets, and we'll, um, assuming we don't all get Omicron and die uh we'll go yeah don't make or spence come to ottawa we'll drive over to montreal i was just gonna say montreal could be fun too i have not been to an f1 race so i'll go to the vancouver epre anyway but i do need to get to an f1 race next year well i don't see why i can't do both kick the dog out of the spare bedroom we're coming i'm like we better get some sponsorship guys my pocketbook can't handle that continental (laughs) we love you continental tires (laughs) <laughs> and belts and hoses too brought to you by active green and ross <laughs> edit that out please eric please edit that out yeah you know what and i gotta make that call right eric wellman has been editing us all year long and super thankful because he's made us sound way funnier way smarter way more informed than any of us actually are holy geez eric cheers to you bye absolutely thank you eric yes cheers Flippin' F1 will have at least one more episode sometime in January. I think the episode is going to be called Fixin' F1, where we just argue the issues. That's what we just did. 
Yeah. Can we have a different thing? We just fixed the sport, Randy. <laughs> I'm not going to hash the same thing again. Phil wants to take a shot at me for defending Lewis, but not defending Max in a certain way. You know, I, I, I'm losing steam on that argument. Let's find another topic. Let's do, let's do a decade in review or something like that. Let's let's be be fun and interesting. Do we just do the All Lance and Latifi podcast where we just talk about how great both uh, of those good are? Yeah, we're gonna do a ranking of the 2021 Grand Prix from 22 <laughs> to zero. Yeah, I like yeah. that one actually. That would be interesting. And this gives us an excuse to rewatch all the Grand Prix over like the Christmas break. <laughs> I think a segment called Backmarker Benchmarks would be actually a wicked, wicked podcast mm. to do where we talk about everybody but Lewis or Max and see how that goes. That would be a lot of fun. Like, what would happen this season had Lewis or Max not been there? Because, wow, that'd be hilarious. I mean, Mesbin would still be at last pace, but... I think I agree with you, but talk about them in the sense of what have they actually done. Because all those drivers have done amazing jobs this year, right? And have had great races. I think the fun part would be to say, okay, let's find something positive to say about all 21 of them. Well, at some point, we'll figure out what the end of year special will be for us, (laughs) but we'll do it. It will do it in January because we're not doing it in December. I will say, for all that I've complained about this race, about how this has all ended, I think I will always be a Formula One fan. There's nothing that takes me away from the sport. It is science. It is speed. It is personality. It is culture. It is so much. And that's why when I texted you guys back in March to say, hey, we should do a podcast. This is what came together. And I'm so stoked to be flying with you fellas. You're here, Randy. It's been good. You know, it's been a lot of fun to watch and actually have companions to yell at about what's going on. Exactly. It was hard yelling about F1 in a vacuum. Spence, you going to make a joke about yelling into a vacuum? No. No, okay. <laughs> Just checking. Hey, yo, let's go back to box, 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 bingo, because we tallied up the points, and the winner is the fans. Uh, you know, all nine of you who have been listening to this podcast, thank you for sticking with us all season for the bits we've done and the bits we haven't. And you know what? Yeah, it gets catty. It gets annoying. And also gets a whole lot of fun. And we've loved doing this. I will speak for all of us for a moment. But this really is why we do this cast. You know, the sport, the camaraderie, the community, that is what it's all about. And we hope that you'll join us in season two. We'll do better about posting to Twitter and other places We'll find somebody else who could be Phil's secretary so that I don't have to email him about times and places and links and shit like that. That's what I have people for. And also somebody who reminds me to fill out the goddamn grid. But I will say this, Professor, technical, left coast, man, this has been an absolute blast. And this is really what I envisioned when I texted you guys back at the beginning of the season. And it really has come to something special. So... Thank you all. To those who celebrate holidays during this month, I will say the very best, the very happiest, the very merriest, the very hilarious of the holidays. We got two months without F1, and I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but watch bobsledding. I love you all. So from me, your host who loves to coast, thank you for listening to Flippin' F1. Professor? You said it all, so thank you all, and thank you for the time. Happy holidays, all. I'm just so proud that we can say thank you to our fans instead of thank you to our fan. Yeah, that's true. Congratulations, boys. We did it.